Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Okay, here's what we're doing today. I want to keep this introduction very brief. Uh, because the podcast today is actually uh, someone else's podcast. My good friend, Pastor Dan Sams, interviewed me for his podcast, and I am simply including it here. So I will stop there, and you'll hear music that is different than what you're accustomed to. Uh, This is his podcast, his introduction. Here we go. shepherd must tend his flock, and at times, fight off the wolf. Hello and welcome to the Pugilist Podcast, where we engage in theological fisticuffs, doctrinal insurgency, asymmetrical apologetic kung fu, rampart catechesis, sincere love, fellowship, and the joy of the Lord. And uh, we've got a special uh, special guest on here today uh, that I'm really excited about. Mitch, so good to have you with us. This is Mitch Schultz, um, everyone. And uh, we're, uh, we're excited to have him on here. Uh, Mitch, you've been a good friend uh, for the last, how, how long have we known each other? Well, we, we're, we're good friends, but we've never met. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's the way it goes in I love uh, it. post-COVID yeah. days, I suppose. Yeah, I would say, I would say probably three, three years ago, we got connected. Yeah, and right. it was, it was related to something that I had written, and you were intrigued by it, and then we uh, started talking to each other and, and since then have, have developed a great friendship. I remember, uh, I've, I have a number of relationships like this and I'll eventually say, you know, I know you so well, but I have no idea how tall you are because all I see is shoulder up. <laughs> yeah. And, and the answer is I am not very tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. I actually do a, uh, a gun podcast with a friend of mine and right. funny how well I know him. He and I've never met either. Like, oh, we've we're actually been, yeah. you know, connected in person. Um, so tell me a little bit though. Uh, so you have a podcast, tell us a little bit, the, uh, before you quit podcast, can you tell us yeah. a little bit about it, how you came into that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this interview will also, uh, land on that podcast. So right I, I appreciate, uh, us doing this. Uh, yeah, I, I've been, uh, just a quick, quick, uh, summary. I've been a pastor for 34 years, uh, with the Christian Missionary Alliance and about six years ago, uh, no, actually in 2014, I started a ministry that helps pastors and and ministry leaders, missionaries, and such uh, through hardship. And about four years ago, I started this podcast as a a parallel platform to that ministry uh, or a tool of that ministry. And it comes out of, I I pastored, and uh, I think we're going to be, well, we're going to be talking about this uh, a good bit, but I passed, my my really hard church was the last church that I pastored. And I got to a point where I was, um, I remember sending out an email to the whole congregation that was rather snippety. And the district superintendent called me and said, Mitch, are you okay? And I said, well, probably not. And that email was sort of a dashboard light indicating that things were uh, not getting healthy in my own life and my reaction to uh, things going on within the church. So we, t- my wife and I took a three-day retreat at uh, Fairhaven Ministries, which is uh, a, a center for pastors just to rest. And mm-hmm. if needed, there's counseling there. And and we did that. And it um, uh, there was a book on the shelf. I grabbed the book and it was by Blaine Smith called Before You Quit. And I read that book in a whole afternoon, and it was essentially a, uh, a review of all the servants of the Lord in Old Testament, New Testament. Not one of them uh, did not go through hardships. And in fact, that was the norm for them. And so that book kind of uh, reset my, my passion and, and love for the gospel, the church, 
And I went back, same context, messed up, hurting context, but my perspective was a lot different. So the Before You Quit podcast came out of that, uh, reading that book and also that experience. So I want people to consider before they quit, sometimes it's okay to quit, but before you do, let's talk about some things and let's get perspective and let's make sure that you're on a, a healthy trajectory. Good stuff, brother, which by the way, a much needed thing. We know that pastors are quitting all the time. Yeah, you're hearing um, more about that now, you're, certainly. You burn out, they're hurting. And um, and I'm I'm realizing now also your average pastor is pastoring a church of 30, 40 people now, <laughs> you know, like yeah. these pastors that are uh, probably bivocational, trivocational. Some of us are working four jobs, mm-hmm. uh, making ends meet, trying to do the work. And um, it is a struggle. And so you're already spread thin. Then you take on some hurt and it's easy to have that, that quit thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the theme of my podcast, and I'm, I mentioned this all the time in my podcast, that is to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. Uh, serving is always going to be hard, but we need to have perspective, which gives us courage to, uh, go through those hardships. And, and some of the hardships are, you know, small congregations and, uh, some, you know, the challenges of, of making ends meet, you know, taking care of our family. There's just multiple issues that pastors face. So I've had the privilege of, uh, you know, I got a call this, uh, this afternoon at three o'clock, a pastor is just going through a hard time and wants to talk and, those things uh, invigorate me and I'm, I'm glad I can be here uh, to, you know, we're not a hotline where people are calling every hour, but the uh, occasional conversations are, are very, um, I think, productive and helpful to people. Praise the Lord, brother. Well, I'm certainly encouraged. And you, you have that pastor's heart, man. Like, I mean, it was just before we even started this, we were talking about something I had going on, comforting and checking in on me. And um, fortunately that's all taken care of, but man, um, you have pastor's heart, brother. And it's it's a, it's a blessing. So with, with this in mind, can you tell us just a little bit about your story? And I know it's, it's going to be interesting because we're getting in, we've got this topic we want to address that is part of your story. Um, and we've heard a little bit just even in how you got into the podcast, but um, you've been in ministry for something like 40 years now. Yeah. 30, 38 now. I uh, again, yeah. pastored for about 34. We, uh, my wife and I met here in the town where we live, Tacoa Falls College, and we were pursuing overseas work, uh, did our degree in that uh, a year of grad studies, the necessary uh, pastoral placements. We, I was a youth pastor and then a lead pastor in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, only pastor, lead pastor, a small church. And then we, uh, we ended up in Europe uh, for seven years and uh, had, had three children. And uh, at our last couple months before we were supposed to come home, uh, my wife had um, emergency surgery to have a brain tumor removed that was undetected, and she had slipped into a coma. We're actually in Germany when it happened, and I won't go, go into all the details. Uh, I wrote a book about this, and uh, if people want to uh, look at that, our story, it's called Surviving the Fires of Sorrow. It's available on Amazon. Uh, but she came out of that. Right uh, she, uh, there, there it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, we didn't even talk about doing that. Good. Yeah. Uh, but she, uh, she was in a coma for a month. And when she came to, she had lost all of her uh, cognitive uh, reading, writing, uh, oh, communication. Wow. And it, um, in fact, she's been on a, on a 22 year journey of recovering that doing great, uh, has a great spirit, great attitude, uh, has not recovered some things like reading and writing, but she she takes care of our finances and she is just uh, very gifted. But has has lived with some of these uh, oh, some of these restrictions. Uh, but we came we came uh, we were delayed a little bit from our planned trip, uh, our one year home assignments, and moved here to Tacoa, Georgia. And uh, two weeks later, my oldest son uh, Travis, who was twelve, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Uh, and just a couple months after my wife's and his was on the brainstem immediately, we were informed that it was not operable. And so he went through, uh, 10 months of, uh, of, uh, dealing with radiation and had a couple good months during that time and passed away, uh, after 10 months, uh, just shy of his 13th birthday. 
Uh, so that uh, that that was uh, you know disorienting and and uh, say the least uh, a real blow. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, so we we were not able to go back to Europe because of that, and ended up in Wisconsin. And I was uh, associate pastor of a large church there. It was a real healing community, uh, uh, a wonderful uh, time for us to serve as wounded healers. Uh, ministering to others, being ministered to. And after five years, and this is going to lead up to our conversation today, I, I had the opportunity to candidate at a church in, in North Carolina. Um, and when we arrived, uh, it, it, we, were, we followed a guy that had had moral failure there. And um, uh, we were there for seven years. And it was, a, it was the hardest ministry uh, I'd ever been there, uh, been experienced, and uh, found out how wounded the church was because of the, you know, the experience with the pastor as well as some other uh, very unhealthy conditions there. And um, and so we were there seven years, and in 2013 left, and uh, I started this ministry in 2014. Uh, so that's uh, that's just in a nutshell. And and when we left, to just to add a little bit of um, context to our story. Uh, when we left Wisconsin, my youngest son was also diagnosed with cancer. He had uh, a mass in his abdomen that uh, we didn't know what was happening. But uh, once, you know, he was losing a lot of weight and was sick for a couple of weeks, we, he had surgery and then we found out that that was cancer. But he survived it and, uh, you know, just after five years was all clear. And uh, he's 28 years old now and an actor in Atlanta. And uh, so uh, the Lord has asked us to go through some tough stuff, but has been, uh, you know, very, very kind to us through, through all of it. And praise the Lord, brother, you have, you have been through it um, more than most of us. I, I look back at my years in ministry and um, of course I've, I, I've got a few more years to go before I'm, I've been in it as long as you have, but I look back and I can point to some serious times of suffering and hurt, but um and you have certainly been through it, brother. And so thank you for your faithfulness. And um, I guess with that in mind, we, we should probably jump into this topic because it's related to, to everything we were just sharing. Um, it, would that be all right? You ready to go? Absolutely. I'm ready to go. Yeah. So um, so I'll, I'll just kind of introduce a little bit and, and I'm going to ask some questions. So I know so many times we hear these stories about a pastor having a moral failure. And to our listeners, the moral failure is not Mitch, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> right. We, we hear about a pastor having a moral. I was failure. accused of many things, but not that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we hear about it. And, you know, it's interesting. There's there's almost this excitement. There's this interest when something like that happens. It can even attract attention to a church. Um, people are talking about it. Um, and then but somebody has to come in and, and clean up the mess. And we very seldom talk about that pastor that comes next after mm. that. And, um, and so, um, yeah, could you, uh, could, you were that pastor who came in and, and, and did the follow-up and did the ministry following that. So can you kind of just tell us how did this come about for you? Sure. Uh, what kind of expectations do you have going into it? Um, what, Get us introduced to this. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would say our our concern is is that you and I want to talk about is not just the the pastor that follows uh, a guy who's had moral failure, but the uh, what the church is going through. We we are really, I think, the resources are there. I don't know if we're good at it, but the resources are there mm -hmm. uh, predominantly to help the pastor through restoration and recovery. Uh, but there's not a lot there to help the church go through the recovery. And, um, and so what, that's a, a good bit of what I'd like to talk about. Um, in fact, this afternoon, I, I thought, well, I'm going to put that to the test. So I Googled it. And uh, there was, again, a higher percentage of articles, blogs, and, and videos that uh, talk about the pastor. In fact, the, the, the predominant character who is, seems to be addressing it is Thomas Rayner. Uh, from from Lifeway, and I'll be I'll be putting that link on my podcast when I put this out. Um, I think it's lacking a gospel emphasis. It's just very logistical of what uh, yeah. a church is going through and should do. I, I was a little little sad that there's not there wasn't a big emphasis on repentance and yeah. and the role that the gospel plays. But again, as as you and I talk about often, that's the way things are going. 
in the church. But because of our, our experience personally of having gone through a lot, the interim pastor at that time, uh, he met me at a, at a conference, our annual denominational conference, and he was looking for me. And he asked me, uh, he told me what he was doing, that he was going to this church in a, a town in the Smoky Mountains uh, to serve as interim because of what had happened to the pastor. It was a large church, five, 500, 600 people uh, in a small mountain town, which uh, I thought later became intriguing to me. Um, and because of our experience, he felt like we would be a good couple to help that church go through healing because we had experienced a lot personally. And, um, and so we went there and, um, and, and found out that, uh, during the interim 14 months or so, uh, there, and, and the interim wonderful godly man, old school. And I think traditionally, uh, even in our denomination, when this has happened, it tends to be quiet. It tends to be, uh, you know, sometimes swept under the, under the carpet, not, not always, but that does happen. And I said, I think the, the old school mentality is, uh, you know, as little damage control as possible, uh, as little knowledge as, as necessary or only what is necessary. And, um, and then let's, you know, move the guy on, he'll get restoration, uh, and the church will be fine because a new guy will come in, but that's not the case. Uh, a church, this church was deeply wounded. Uh, they were also culpable in a number of areas. Uh, there was some enabling that had taken place. Um, the pastor's reputation, the reputation of the church was important. And, um, and so they were hoping to salvage, you know, this, this brokenness, but, uh, the, that was not the case. So we, we went in with, um, uh, you know, I, I think awareness that it was going to be really, really tough, but we didn't, we underestimated how, how difficult it was going to be. So um, now I know you've written uh, a pretty lengthy blog post summarizing all this. I don't know if yeah, it's we're we're calling it a book, a book, <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah, uh, or a blog series, right? Yeah. Um, I, I remember uh, there's been a few times where somebody was account giving a blog account of things happening, and it, mm. it really ended up being a series because yeah, like, what yeah. else are you going to do? Um, so I mean, it, it sounds like it, as you you've you've alluded to, this has been your hardest ministry. Um, and my understanding also, you've alluded to this a little bit that the, what the pastor did in having the affair was one thing that was obviously terrible. And there's all kinds of fallout from that, but you've already alluded also to, um, there were some other unhealthy things in the church that were, that were going on. So, uh, how would you kind of sum up what was wrong? What was going on? What was, what was the trouble with this church when you arrived? Yeah, I think, uh, and, and by the way, that article or blog, um, I'm going to post on my, on my podcast. I, I wasn't sure whether I should because it, it uh, you know, people that are close to this will recognize the, the events. And, uh, but I, I give a, a preface or a caveat that, that my intent is not at all to demean anybody. Uh, I just think it's important to tell the story in order to point to the need to be very intentional in, um, in, in helping a church, uh, to be restored as well. It's not just the pastor that needs restoration. In some cases, the church needs restoration. Uh, it, it certainly needs counsel, uh, counseling and, uh, going through grief. And, uh, there's a lot of anger that is, is in a, in a church following something like this. They're stunned, they're shell-shocked, they're numb. And, um, and so you can't just bring a new guy in and, and, and just move on. But I think because of, uh, so in, in the end of the article, I, I talk about some conclusions. And one of them is that um, a popular, effective pastor uh, who, whose outcome of ministry is really good, you know, in this case, uh, high numbers, which is not a sign of health, often is not. In this case, I think it was a sign of unhealth. Um, there's less accountability to a pastor that's well-liked and deeply loved. And there's, um, I think, I think things got sloppy and there wasn't the attention to, uh, to his soul and, 
um, his behavior and in, in a number of cases. And again, I, I am hesitant to bring this up, but I think it's important. There were a couple elders that knew about it who were trying to talk the pastor out of it so that it would not hurt the, the ministry. And, um, and so that's, uh, you know, that, that's just one example of some, some of the unhealth there. Um, it's interesting in the, in the, um, video that I watched with Thomas Raymer, the podcast, he, this is a really good point that the anger is towards that pastor, but since he's not there, that anger has to be directed somewhere. And it's very typical that that anger is redirected at the, at the next pastor that comes in. Yeah. Um, because the people miss the guy so deeply and I could not come and replace him. Yeah. And um, and it manifests itself in, in some very bizarre ways, you know, like uh, um, uh, a guy the week after I candidated, there was a guest speaker and a group came up to him afterwards and said, hey, we'd like for you to be our pastor. And he was like, you just announced that Mitch Schultz is going to be the pastor. And they said, well, we don't like him. And uh, so this guy said, well, this is very inappropriate. Um, and he told the interim pastor later, and it was, uh, the interim pastor's reaction was, uh, well, they're just hurting. They'll, they'll get through this. Uh, now I only found out about that seven years later. And, uh, and if I had, in fact, I, in my article, I, I explained that I found out while I was still there, I thought about this later. I, I found this out after I left the church that that incident had happened. And if I had known that I would not have gone there. Uh, you know, that's, that's dissension, and of course, predictably, those were the number of people that were uh, antagonistic towards the, not just me, but the leadership of the church. So, so a lot of pain, you know, hurt people, hurt people and wounded people. If they have not experienced the healing of the gospel will wound others. And uh, so we, we came there as wounded healers and also hurting ourselves. Our son had just gone through cancer and we were expecting uh, to be embraced as we were in the previous church, but the, the, the congregation was hurting so much that we were not able to receive those, uh, uh, that loving embrace from, from the congregation. And so there's a few things that are standing out to me already. One is, um, you have, it sounds, as you mentioned, it sounds like there were elders that knew about this pastor's affair and kept it quiet to protect the quote unquote kingdom of the church. Um, and then we also have this situation where here they, they announce that they're hiring you and then a group of people, it sounds like a fairly large group uh, tries to pull an end run and get mm -hmm. this other guy in there, which is snidely and divisive on any level. Like there was no way that could go wrong. But then when that came up, someone just said, Oh, they're just hurting. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, like pretty much everybody has some hurt going on. So like, but we still have to confront sin. And yes. so not only did not confront the sin, but they essentially left that landmine in the ground for you to step on and didn't even give you a heads up on it. And so I think about all these things that there is a one theme I'm already seeing is that sin was not being dealt with properly before you even were able to show up. And so um, I've noticed that people get used to kind of winking at the sin. And so when someone shows up and, and is like, well, no, we're not going to pretend this didn't happen. We need to address it. Now, now he's seen as the bad guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And so it makes it even harder to do the shepherding work. Um, so, wow. Uh, yeah, it was like uh, it was like being handed a grenade with the pin pulled out. Yeah. You know, you're, you're holding at some point, you got to let it go and it's yeah. going to cause damage. So, um, so maybe with all this, you know, in mind, um, it sounds like and if from from your post and, and, and I'm getting the idea from from even what you've shared already today that uh, that pastor that um, that had the affair did not repent. There was not a restorative process. He just left town. Um, is that right? Correct. That's correct. Yeah. And the, the denomination that you, um, the church was part of, uh, that I'm still licensed with. And I think you're familiar with as well. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I used to be connected. To them. Yeah. 
Um, they, they have a process for restoration and it's, uh, and it's, a, it's pretty clear cut. You, you know, once something like this is found out, there's conviction, sorrow over sin, desire for repentance, uh, or there is repentance and a desire for restoration. Uh, the, the pastor will meet with uh, the, the licensing committee of the district and other mentors, and it's usually a two-year-long process. And uh, it's a wonderful story when a pastor can say, this is part of my, my history. I've, I know a number of guys who are pastoring effectively who have this in their, in their narrative, um, but they, they experienced healing and recovery. And, um, so that that's there to restore. It's not to punish. Um, I mean, there's, there's an element of that, but, uh, you know, the purpose is to, is to restore them, uh, to the Lord. And, uh, if, if possible, in some cases back to ministry, I think that's a whole other topic, whether that should happen or not. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, uh, yeah, the, the guy, um, with the person that he was involved with for a couple months, uh, and and that's a there, there's some some good things that that happened. The, the wife uh, chased him down and said, "You're coming back home," and and so the marriage was restored. Oh, praise the um, But there are you know uh, interesting things like a number of people in the congregation actually helped him move uh, with the person that he was involved with. And again, those are things, as I arrived there, I started hearing these stories and I thought, uh, no, that, that season when all this was happening, uh, did not happen in isolation. Mm. Uh, there was, um, uh, you know, an enabling and empowering and, um, and underlying it all was a lot of fear, uh, that, uh, Hey, we're going to lose this, uh, this empire, uh, that we have here. But, uh, but yeah, sadly, um, there was not that story that could be told to the congregation uh, that's embraced by the gospel of, uh, hey, the pastor repented and uh, he's deeply sorrowful for what he did. And I think if that had happened, there, there would have been um, a level of healing there for the congregation. But, um, and that's, that's deep. That's, you know, to pull back those layers, I think gets into a very, uh, maybe a complicated conversation, uh, even theologically, you know, I mean, even if, uh, if, if I'm mad at someone and I never say, I'm sorry, they're, they're going to remain hurt. You know, they're willing to forgive, but they have to hear those words. I'm sorry. I repent for them to, yeah. uh, to receive that forgiveness. There's something about the acknowledgement of the wrong that is itself mm -hmm. very healing. Um, the, the truth is sometimes even when someone's not repentant and they acknowledge that they did it and this was, you know, what it was that like, even that's like better than nothing. Um, yeah. But obviously the repentance even more and absent of that, there's just, it's like, there's this wound that's still to some degree open. Um, and so obviously it sounds like you're saying that, man, if it would have made a huge difference if there had been repentance from this. Yeah. And, and the, there was something done, uh, uh, a guy who, uh, actually the guy that led the group to ask the guest speaker to be their pastor, uh, went to visit the former pastor and the former pastor gave him a letter, uh, where he did apologize, but that guy held on to that letter for six months uh, only told one elder and, and it was leveraged uh, against the, the leadership. It was, there was a, and I, I share this in the article, there was a business meeting, which normally attended by 50, 60 people, but on that particular uh, Sunday evening, there were about 200 people there. And, uh, and there'd been a rumor going around. I found out that afternoon that, uh, that people were expecting an announcement to be made that uh, the pastor was going to come back and I was going to leave. And that letter from the pastor was read to the congregation. Um, in my view, it was a, a very weak apology. And, um, and when people realize that there's no such announcement coming, um, it was, it was bizarre. I, I was sitting there in the front, just watched 70% uh, of the folks get up and leave and, um, and it turned out to be uh, just a very dark uh, evening uh, with a lot of anger expressed. That was a pivotal moment. And, and, um, and incidentally, that happened that Friday before a single mom in our church had asked us to 
she was dying of cancer and at her bedside or deathbed, she asked if we would take her two kids custody after she died. And we said, yes. And um, it was amazing the opposition we got to that. And, and even this meeting happening that subsequent uh, Sunday, I took as, um, as I reflected, I'm not, I'm not prone to, to say something is demonic or spiritual attack, but there was just something very uh, interconnected there between those two experiences that, again, just revealed to me how unhealthy and, um, and sad it was. I felt sorry. I, I felt deeply sorry for uh, people who, who were that wounded that they, uh, they were not able to love others. Uh, cause it, you know, I never took it personally, strangely. Um, but I saw other people wounded by this and it, it I took that personally. And it, it's interesting before you even mentioned, uh, how you, you know, I'm not quick to jump and, and blame things on, on the demonic, but before you had even said that, uh, the thing that came to mind is when they're, you know, in that, that reading of that letter, uh, you have a combination of, uh, you know, someone's holding it as leverage, that's manipulation. And James 3 seems to indicate that that kind of manipulation and control is a demonic thing. And so you have mm. that, you have all this confusion surrounding it, which we know that confusion is not from our Lord. And so it has a different source. <laughs> and yes. so it's interesting, uh, just put aside, even, even if you hadn't mentioned, uh, you know, that you all were, were taking on this task and you were doing this thing that, that was honoring to the Lord, uh, even if you hadn't mentioned that, all these other things bear the marks of, of our enemy's work, um, confusion, mm -hmm. deception, manipulation. Uh, that's what he specializes in. So, um, so there's a really quick question, kind of a follow-up to that. You would, uh, maybe this is not a quick question. <laughs> um, <laughs> But or the answer might not be correct. Right. Uh, yeah. So what we, it sounds like there was this really twisted attempt at, uh, at a restoration of this pastor where you have a half-hearted apology. You have somebody trying to, some people thinking he's going to be brought back in and you're going to be gone. Like, obviously that's not the right way <laughs> to have a restoration, mm -hmm. but maybe it's a good time to mention what, what would a, a, a faithful restorative process have looked like from a biblical perspective? What, yeah, that, that's a great question. Yeah, because yeah, we're talking about the alternative to what I experienced. Um, you know, if, if a pastor in this case does not repent, um, the church needs to go through uh, a, an intentional strategic process of, of healing and in this case, uh, you know, there's groups like IPM uh, in interim pastoral ministry. I, I have a good friend who who works with them. They tend to be retired or almost retired pastors that join IPM, and they are very intentional as interims going into churches. They have a, a methodology, a theology, uh, and tools that they use to help a church. And it can take up to two, two to three years for a church to be ready for the next pastor. And so that interim pastor will be there during that time. So a lot of, a uh, lot of research on the history. Um, in this case, if someone had come in and had been really intentional, uh, the, because as soon as I got there, I started hearing these stories. So it's not like this, this people were not talking about these things. Uh, so if an interim had been very strategic in gathering information, uh, there could have been opportunities to visit individuals and use Matthew 18 to give them an opportunity, you know, because there were layers here of some people that were far more culpable than, let's say, on the, on the wider side of it, the entire congregation, um, you know, someone who doesn't know a whole lot about what happened would be less responsible leadership that knew about it are more highly responsible. Uh, so, you know, there have been should in times like this, and this is the beauty of the gospel, there's opportunities for people to express their sorrow, uh, to ask for forgiveness from the congregation. Um, and then when that happens uh, again, assuming the pastor does not repent, uh, then I think there, there ought to be opportunities for, uh, the congregation to gather in some kind of solemn way and to repent corporately for, uh, for what had happened. 
and um, and then and then opportunities to to talk, you know, for people that are grieving to uh, talk. And I, you know, again, there were there were some some good good people that were hurting who would come talk to me, and uh, and it was it was refreshing for them to see the next pastor not jealous of the previous pastor and to, and to pray with them and to encourage them that, uh, Hey, a church is about the gathering of believers, uh, for the kingdom, for the gospel. And, uh, let's, let's let this define us in the sense of, uh, you know, this has drawn us closer to Jesus and, and we understand the cross a lot better because we've been sinful. Um, so, so I, I think in short, um, uh, as, as a brief summary to be intentional address sin, to have opportunity, uh, for counseling, grieving, and then, uh, corporate, uh, healing. Cool. Um, that's, uh, it's interesting as you say it, the thing that comes to mind is, well, hopefully, you know, not very many churches will need this. And then it hits me. I don't know many churches that haven't had something like this happen. Right. Um, right. So pretty much every church should have, uh, should be uh, to have some understanding of what uh, proper restoration or healing uh, would look like. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me also, you were mentioning the, the function of an interim and the opportunity that an interim pastor has. And um, I know that there are schools of thought that essentially say, if you're in an interim position of any kind, your job is simply to keep things the same until the next Mm -hmm. guy gets here. And I'm thinking, but if things are a mess, you don't want to keep them the same. And an interim has a wonderful opportunity to, uh, I don't like to, to use the phrase to be the bad guy, but to to take some of those hits, knowing that he doesn't have to be there a long time and not right. no, no shame on that interim guy. It sounds like he was a halfway decent guy, but uh, I wonder that, you know, you mentioned there's a, a group that that's what they do is interim work. And I can see great value in that, that they, they prepare these guys and equip these guys to come in and say, here's how we bring healing and prepare this church for the guy who's going to shepherd it for the next you know, five, 10, 15. Yeah. Years. And it was interesting. Even after I left, they had an interim come for about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he actually works for IPM and oh. he was, he was a lot more intentional mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm, I'm actually friends with him. So occasionally he would let me know, uh, <laughs> you know, but there, there are people that did repent. Uh, there was, there was one case where uh, a person was very antagonistic and ugly and divisive. And she uh, was disciplined for that and met with the elders and, and asked for forgiveness. Um, I think what would have helped in that case, I, I, I'm not, this is not too heavy on my heart. Uh, again, all of this is, is 10, 11 years ago. It's, yeah. it's interesting it's how in some way it's all still fresh, but you know, it's a decade ago. Um, but once, you know, if I was the target of the antagonism and then I've left and then there's, you know, an act of contrition as in this person, uh, I, it, it would have helped that person if I had been involved in it, if I had been called and um, or brought in and given opportunity to hear her repent. And then I could, I could say to her, oh, I forgive you. I mean, that's yeah. uh, just thank you so much for listening to the Holy spirit. So that was kind of shortcutted, but at least the second guy was, was more intentional. Yes. So praise the Lord for that. And and as I'm, I'm thinking about this, we already mentioned that there's this, um, there was a lack of church discipline way before you got there. Um, but one of the things that's, that's crossing my mind in all of this is the, um, the way that we haven't seen good church discipline very often in a lot of ministries. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here you have uh, the, to the point of even a pervasiveness where they're helping this guy move with his mistress. And um, that's, and, and I've, I've heard so many people that they're like, well, we're just loving people. We want to love. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. 
you know, Paul refers into rendering someone to Satan so that so that mm-hmm. they can suffer apart from the body of Christ. And I always like to say it's different than shunning somebody. The idea is that like, hey, we're a family and we protect this family of God. And, and with that comes loving discipline. And most of us have, are, I've had the privilege of this, but so many people have not had the privilege of even the light forms of discipline. And I'm like, you know, church discipline begins even with the small things like, hey, man, um, man, it's on a little harsh what you just said to your wife, man, is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Um, church discipline is, um, is, hey, you know, I noticed that thing in your post and it just had a little edge to it. Like everything, everything going okay? Or it's like, hey, that email you sent seemed like you were hurting a little bit, man. Like yeah. There's a little edge to that. Hey, don't get personal now. <laughs> right. Yeah, sorry. But it's those things. Oh, not to me, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's interesting that those um, those things are the little bits of church discipline that tend to keep it from getting to the heavy things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you're protecting even when you do that. But I'm thinking of how many times people are like, don't get into my business or how could you ever yeah. say that like that? Yeah. And, and often the, the whole cycle from uh, confronting to repenting uh, is never completed because uh, the person will leave halfway through, you know? And um, I've seen only a few incidences where someone, I mean, I'll give you an example. The church in Wisconsin, there was a guy teaching a very popular Sunday school class who was part of a group uh, trying to get a petition uh, uh, related to the music, you know, moving towards modern music. And, and it was divisive, you know, regardless of what, you know, what, what the, whether the issue was right or wrong, whether the church should have been going that direction or not is a separate issue, but he was being very divisive. And it, it was, um, uh, it was given to me the responsibility to go to him and to say, Hey, you're, you're hurting the church. You're a Sunday school teacher and you can't do this. We're going to ask you to step down from teaching for six months. And, uh, and he immediately was, was remorseful mm-hmm. and uh, eagerly wanted to enter the process of, uh, of healing. And, and uh, uh, six months later, he's back teaching. And, and that when people see that, they, they say, that's the gospel at work. You know, that's, that's the way it should be. And that's a story we can tell, you know, to each other. And when that doesn't happen, it doesn't reflect well on our commitment to the gospel. That's my issue with the Tom Raymer, Rainer interview today. It was, you know, on, on the very topic that you and I are talking about here, there was no talk of the gospel, no talk of repentance. It was all logistic. Like, how do you handle this? What, what do you say? you know, what's going on in people's lives. And I'm like, I'm listening to this sitting outside. It's warm enough here today. And it's like, oh my word, this, the, the, I'm waiting to hear this, but it never, never came. It hurts my heart. I'm, I am, um, I'm seeing the same kind of things where it's that we'll bring in business stuff. And I'm yeah. Like, Brothers, yeah. the gospel should have a part in everything we do. Every sermon I preach, I should be able to, it should connect to the gospel somehow. And Man, especially in discipline, if you know repentance and faith <laughs> should be mm-hmm. a part of this. Um, I, I will very briefly mention I have a family member that when was disciplined. In fact, at the time, I think he was the only kid who'd been kicked out of the youth group at his church. And he later, he, not only was he restored, but he later became the pastor of that church. Mm, wow. And pastored faithfully, raised up his associate pastor who's pastoring it now. And and so when people are like, man, church discipline just sounds mean, I'm like, no. It's hateful. It's like sparing the rod. Like yeah. it is a hateful thing to allow someone to go on in their sin. And it's even more hateful to facilitate their sin. Uh, discipline is good and rich. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We need to see more of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, it leads to the story that, that uh, you know, when I, when I counsel married couples and they're close to divorce, I'll tell them, you know, whatever decision you make, there's a story that's going to be told by your kids and grandkids. Yeah. And which is the more beautiful story, the one of brokenness and fracture or the one where the gospel brought healing. I mean, this is where one of the purposes of marriage is to leave a godly legacy. And there's nothing more wonderful when grandkids can say, you know, grandma and grandpa 30 years ago were separated, ready to divorce. 
but they wanted to be obedient to Christ. And, and, you know, that's, that story is being passed down generation to generation and the same, that, that beautiful privilege for a church to be, to, you know, em, embrace that, uh, uh, you know, that the appropriate healing through repentance and forgiveness uh, is a great testimony. You know, it's an encouragement to each other. It's a testimony to the community. Amen, brother. So um, I've got a few more questions here. And with some of this are things that we've, we've sort of covered already, but um, there's like little pieces I'd like to fill in. So if you've got a little bit more time, can I ask a few? Sure, absolutely. Right. As long as you need. Um, so um that it seems like there there is a connection, and we've kind of briefly alluded to this between uh, the the way the previous pastor left and his refusal to repent, and then the way that you were received. Um, what kind of connections would you say are related to that? What what was the spillover? Okay, you you um, broke you broke up sorry. there just for an incident at the heart of that question. So can you sorry. repeat it? Sorry, about that, brother. Uh, the internet's been giving me trouble today. Um, what would you say would be the connection? What, what kind of things uh, related to the pastor's refusal to repent? How did that affect how you were received? Specifically, how were you were received? Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think uh, there's a projecting uh, taking place, transference. You know, we call that in, in counseling, where I'm angry at you, but you're not there to be the object of my angers. Therefore, I'm going to transfer it to someone else. Um, I filled a position that uh, had been laid, left vacant by uh, someone who had wounded the congregation. And, and so I think it was an unconscious thing in a sense where people projected that anger uh, towards me. Um, and, and again, I mean, we've talked about this, that where there has not been the opportunity to see the gospel at work, uh, the, the pastor is going to have a frustrating ministry. Um, I had a frustrating ministry there because there was such brokenness and, and pain. And so the normal things that you would hope to see were stifled, you know, but, but discipleship, evangelism, uh, there, th those things, I mean, while they seeped out of the ministry and there were occasional good outcomes there for the most part, um, you know, in my, in my seven years there, we, we saw, I, I was able to see one person come to Christ. Uh, that's not good. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, the Lord did a lot of good things and, and, you know, there were, there were people encouraged and, and built up, but, uh, it underlying it all of, you know, because of that fractured community, um, I, I think the, so to answer your question, I, we weren't able to really see the gospel at work because there was, a, a, an unhealthy condition, man. Well, it's interesting. Then you have, if you have a pastor that is effectively refusing to repent of sin, oh man, you're, you're not, I mean, that's a guy who is not letting the gospel be central in his life. Mm -hmm. That's just, yeah. it, it was interesting too. We, yeah. we, uh, when I was there, I, I started a, a church planting network uh, with with the assistance of our district. They even helped us financially, but they gave us permission to uh, to start three churches. And um, uh, and and the, so the the expanding of the kingdom, the opportunity to see um, evangelism and and growth was happening outside the church. Um, and that was, that was resisted and that was odd to me. It was sometimes called Mitch's hobby. You know, the church plants were Mitch's hobby and that should have been embraced by the whole congregation. I had the privilege yesterday of preaching at one of those churches Praise and, uh, it was great to meet with the pastor afterwards and just talk about, uh, well, actually it's not the same church, but he's the pastor, uh, from the church that we helped start. And, mm. uh, and so I, you know, that's, if it hadn't been for that pain and, and that um, that condition, church planting, those church plants might not have happened because I, I was looking honestly for an outlet. I mean, that might sound very carnal to say this, but uh, I, I just I've been so used to every every ministry I've been at to uh, to be evangelistic, to be you know reaching the community. And it's like if it's not going to happen here with us, then I'm going to find somewhere where it does happen. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so, you know, it's great to see some, some good that came out of it. Praise the Lord for that, man. But man, painfully so. Um, yes. Yes. So um, we, you've briefly talked about what, uh, what was maybe lacking in the interim process before you came, but could you give us a few, uh, and, and you've even given some positive, here's what, what could have, mm-hmm. but could you maybe give us a few principles of in an interim between uh, a church that's seen a pastor or other key leader in a moral failure and a new guy coming in, what should the interim look like? And, and do you have just like a few principles that you could say, here are a few things that should happen or that could happen in this time mm-hmm. the optimal mm-hmm. time for it? Yeah. Yeah. And I will dry. I've been a little critical of Rainer's uh, blog, but I'll reference some of his, his stuff. Cherry picking here. Hey, um, but he talks about being transparent and, um, and, and, so I, I think that's a that's a high value there of of being open. Hey, we're a hurting church, um, and I I don't know if I could have gotten away with that from the start, saying, "Hey, you all are dysfunctional because you're not dealing with this." Um, that's one of the things in retrospect that I I wish I had done, but certainly could have been done during the interim, and um, uh, and even in teaching, you know, teaching through that you know, what is uh, holiness look like in, in a pastor, you know, preaching through Timothy. I, I was an interim pastor in 2018 at a small Presbyterian church in that same town. And, um, and I preached through, before their new pastor came, I preached through Timothy and, ta- and talked a lot about the kind of church you are or should be and what kind of pastor you're, you should be looking for. And uh, I like that would have been uh, would have brought some good good outcome um boy some principles um i think i i the elders so this is when i was there the elders and and i um it would have benefited if we had sat down with some people who again i use the word were culpable um, or enabling and had a good talk with them. And I think because they were strong leaders and had a lot of control in the church, we were, I think, too afraid to approach them and, and talk about it. So I think we should have had, you know, number two, we should have had so transparency, and then we should have had honest conversations with people as these stories were coming out. There's also multiple stories, and some of them ended up being true, of some elders in the recent history that had had moral failure themselves, there was accusations against some staff people, and we, you know, had to deal with that. And so there was a, there seemed to have been a pattern of of moral failure. And so, what's the spirit there? What what's happening? I think that's, you know, what what is what is the underlying cause of pain in this church? Yeah. Uh, I think that would have been something else to to look for. And then people, uh, again, Rainer talks about going through the, the same process, uh, stages of, uh, of death, of you know, grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Um, I think I, we got stuck in the anger um, part. So there, a lot of people were angry and didn't know what to do with the anger. Um, you know, one, the, the pastor in coming into this has to be expected has to expect to be the object of a lot of people's anger and don't take it personally when that happens. Um, I had this little uh, mantra I would say to myself when someone that would cross my path and they were angry at me, I, I would say, well, I don't think they had a perfect, healthy life until they suddenly met me. Uh, there's, there's a history here, you know, uh, they, they probably were like this, you know, years ago, my, my wife has, a, I jokingly talk about old crotchety men and my wife will say, well, they, they started out as young crotchety men. You know, they, <laughs> it's not just old people that become crotchety. They've, they've always been this way, you know, and, and I think we need to be aware of how much people bring their own experiences into the church. Uh, businessmen who have, uh, who are accustomed to having a lot of control and power, and then they become elders. I think we have to be very careful that we don't bring people into leadership just because they've been successful in, in the business world. And, um, and in, in this, in my story, that was, uh, 
uh, a hindrance to uh, the healing because there was a lot of a lot of control, a lot of business approach to, you know, shutting people down, dealing with this. Money was a big thing, you know, our finances and maintaining that, uh, you know, large amount that was coming in, uh, fear of losing that. Um, there was protesting. I, I talk about in the article of uh, a Sunday school class where about 15, 20 people attended Sunday school, did not come to church. And they were protesting the church. And um, that should have been addressed by the Sunday school teacher and the elders should have been more proactive in, uh, in addressing that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I think just uh, praying and seeing that as spiritual warfare and understanding that when you are committed to the gospel, there's going to be there's going to be opposition to that. Man, you, you said it well there. If you're committed to the gospel, there will be opposition. That centrally, that's always going to be the case. But man, uh, praise the Lord for the your commitment to the gospel. So looking back on this, man, I mean, you you have I mean, you've you've barely even scratched the surface. I know from reading uh, reading your I got to see the early version of the blog article. Uh, you've gone through great suffering. People have, people treated you terribly, and there's all kinds of betrayal. Um, so tell me, brother, how do you, how do you look back on this now, and how did you make it through that? What what mm. we, maybe even think from a very positive perspective? If you're speaking to another wounded pastor related to a situation, this situation, or or even another like it, how does one get through this without just becoming a bitter? crotchety old man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think, I think that that touches on it there that I, I would picture myself. Um, in fact, I remember doing a message where I would, I would have a picture of two old men. One had a beautiful smile on his face. The other one was this worn out, angry looking man. And I, I would project, I'd look ahead and say, uh, how I react to this is going to determine the kind of person uh, that I want to be. I, uh, one of my staff people, a youth pastor came up to me one time when all this was happening. He said, Mitch, you know what your problem is? And I thought, Oh no, here it comes. He said, you're just too nice. <laughs> and, um, I didn't feel nice, but apparently I didn't, I did not fight back. I didn't retaliate. I, mm-hmm. I just, uh, you know, kind of hunkered down and, uh, and again, somehow did not take it personally. Um, Yesterday, I, the church I spoke at, the, my friend, the pastor, introduced me, and I, w- I was in tears, bawling in the front row. But he talked about the, the things that we had gone through, and he kept saying, you know, he talk, told the story of my wife, my son, my other son, the hard church that we pastored. And every time he related one of these experiences, he said, but, but Mitch and Elaine continue to be faithful. Oh, uh, yeah. Mitch and Elaine continue to be faithful. And I, that's, it's humbling. It's a gift, I think, from the Lord that, um, you know, I fight anger sometimes. We, when we sat with this couple yesterday at their house, we started rehashing all of this. And I'm like, you know, this, I, I don't know if I want to go through this. This is heavy. And my wife said, I need, we need to go, we need to talk about this. <laughs> Uh, you know, but I, yeah, I think, I think you have to, uh, you have to have a kingdom mind. Um, I love Colossians three, you know, set your hearts and minds on things above, not on earthly things. Uh, but you have died in your life or died. And I'm missing out a phrase there, but, uh, you're, you're now hidden with, with God in Christ. Uh, I think understanding your position in your relationship to Christ is important when you, go through this kind of thing humanly with people. Uh, you know, what does, what does Christ think of you is the most important thing in the world. And I, I'm making it sound like, and you're making it sound too, like I was very, uh, you know, effective in my response. A lot of times I was not. So just to, just to clarify that, because <laughs> there's been a lot of stages of anger as well. Um, but, you know, you have to have an eternal mindset, you know, this, this is, um, uh, you know, this is a brief life and, 
I want to stand before the Lord and say, you know, I, w- I wanted to honor you. I wanted to glorify you in, in all of this. Praise the Lord, brother. So maybe very last thing here, I know we're, we're running out of time, but um, can you just maybe give us a good uh, explanation then of how does the gospel, how do you keep the gospel central mm. in the midst of, and, and just answer this as widely as you would like, mm-hmm. uh, thinking of in your life, you just in within your family, you were dealing with immense suffering and loss. Uh, you mm-hmm. were in church where there were people hating you and then people hurting um, and, and, then, and some that even seemed resistant to the gospel work as it related to church planting. Um, how did you keep the gospel central? And in the process, mm. would you mind just proclaiming the gospel? <laughs> you know, like, sure, tell sure. us what the gospel is yeah, and yeah. how to keep it central. Yeah. Well, you, you've heard it this way too, being reformed as I am that, you know, it starts with the character of God. He's holy and just and good. And we're not, um, but he, he, we deserve to be punished for our sin. Uh, we're under the wrath of God as Ephesians two talks about, but God in his mercy made us alive with Christ or in Christ. Uh, the gospel, I, lo- I love using this phrase at the cross, a trade took place. I gave him my sin and he gave me his righteousness. Uh, he, he who knew no sin became sin for us. I, I deserve, uh, and believe me, this experience that, that I had showed my sin. It, it revealed to myself and even some close to me how, how sinful I am. Hmm. Uh, and it, it would take me to the cross. I, I had, I mean, a lot of this, um, you know, the district superintendent talked about, you know, what role did I play in this and that that question hurt me, but I had to look deep inside of myself and and some of my, some of my reactions or not reacting uh, was was not right and um, and so the you know the role of the gospel in in all of this first you know I had to look in my own heart and um, and it, as far as being forgiving to others, um, understanding how forgiven you are makes you extremely loving to others. And if you lose sight of how forgiven you are, that you deserve death, you deserve punishment, uh, you deserve the wrath of God, but God gave you the opposite of that uh, because of his, his love for his son and his son's love for, for the father, that um, he, he included me in that. It's just, uh, it's just powerful. How can you not love? How can you not forgive when, when you experience that? Um, so, you know, the heart of the gospel is we're forgiven. And we're to be forgiving people. Uh, how interesting then. We've, we've mentioned this even along the way, but um, that there were, it sounds like way before you got there, there were people who lost sight of the gospel. Yes. And the gospel was not central. And so all these uh, anti-gospel things were able to thrive. And mm-hmm. then you show mm-hmm. up. And you yeah. love the gospel and not that yeah. there weren't other people there. I'm sure that cared about the gospel. Yeah. But. Yeah. That's a really good point. If the, yeah. if the gospel is absent, something is going to fill that yeah. vacuum when, and it's carnal, it's carnal. Yeah. And the reason why I bring this up is that so often I hear people say, well, we really, yeah, the gospel, but let's move on to these other things. Oh, yeah. 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 The gospel is important. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it becomes this, well, you need the gospel and then you need this and then you need the gospel and you need this. You need the gospel, but you also need the Enneagram. And I'm like, what? You know, yeah, you need the gospel, yeah. but you need uh, you need critical theory. You know, you need the gospel, but you need. And before you know it, the gospel has been pushed. And I'm like, well, if you don't understand what the gospel is, like, yeah, the gospel is central to everything, brothers. Yeah. Everything. Can I tell you a quick story that yeah. shows that revealed to me how shallow we understand the gospel? I watched the Dove Awards, which is for Christian musicians, and I honestly I watched it to be critical. Sorry, <laughs> um, and, and and I was rewarded. <laughs> um, I got what I asked for, but there was one, you know, a guy, they, they hand out awards to singers and a guy comes up to the mic and he goes, well, speaking of the gospel, which means good news, I've got good news for so-and-so he's winning this year's award. And I'm thinking you've just reduced the gospel down to this guy getting an award for having this great song. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the other thing that really, I don't, I, I guarantee you very few people, I put it on Facebook and I got no reaction. So I took it off. 
if I don't get a reaction in 30 minutes, I'll take something off. But there was a, there was a group that sang a song that is about John three 16. And uh, so they're quoting John three 16, you know, if, if uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him, uh, we know it says will not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, they took out the phrase will not perish. And instead what? is whoever believes in the gospel or if God so loved the world that he gave his only son, uh, that whoever believes in him will live eternally. And so it was, it was a rewriting of the God of John three sixteen. <laughs> and I hear this song on Christian radio a lot, uh, the, this song that I'm referring to. Oh, and, um, and that's the state of the gospel, you know, and again, I think why you and I are ending up with the gospel here is because it, it's what matters to us the most. Uh, but it has, it had huge bearings. And uh, as you said, the situation that, that I was in yeah, bro. and that many people are in. Yeah. Um, well, we'll, we'll admonish as we're finishing out here. I will just admonish brothers, keep the gospel central, um, proclaim it daily. I, I proclaim it pretty well daily to my children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just about mm-hmm. it. Um, we have part of our, our gathering in our house church, a different person shares the gospel every week. Um, we're, we're regularly proclaiming. I love that. Of course, as we're doing it, it would better mean something. And so we, we build in, uh, you know, opportunity for confession and then forgiveness and, um, brothers, it's gotta be believed. (laughs) You have to repent and believe the gospel. And, um, but man, anything we can to keep it central. Cause uh, we're so quick to jump to, Oh, well, this is practical and this is helpful in leadership and this is whatever. And we're going to focus on these other things and the gospel gets neglected brothers. And if you don't do anything else, just faithfully proclaim the gospel. Amen. And um, Amen. yeah. Anything else to, to share with us, Mitch, as we finish out? Well, you did a great job asking questions. I'm so used to interviewing others that uh, it was great to answer questions. Uh, I think you hit it on the head. You know, uh, I, I would not hesitate to encourage pastors to repeat the gospel uh, over and over again to yourself, but also to your congregation. Because uh, when you do, you see people light up. You know, if you, if you rehearse the gospel, even publicly, which is, which is why we do, you know, Lord's table is to remember Uh, what Christ has done. We had communion yesterday and I'm just, oh, this is so good. It's so refreshing. Uh, Because I go to a little Baptist church where they serve communion once a quarter. I'm like, no, I want it. I want it every week. Yeah. I think we do it every week. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, I understand there's traditions there, but, uh, but yeah, don't, don't hesitate to see the need for the gospel. It's a, it's an old story that's worth repeating. Yeah. It's a new story that's worth repeating. (laughs) How, how interesting we can be in pretty rough situations and, and the reminder of the gospel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cheers me. And I think it says yeah. something about, of course, we're reformed here. <laughs> uh, you can, you can get an idea of, of who is regenerate when you share the gospel and the regenerate are always praising the Lord to hear the guts just, mm, just feels yeah. so good. Like, Hey, cause it's my only hope in life and in death. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Um, yeah. And the, uh, the unregenerate are like, come on, why do we got to talk about this all the time? And it's like, yeah. if you don't love this, if you don't, mm. if you don't want to talk about it regularly, that's a problem. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Wonderful. Thank, you, thank you so much for being on. Thank here, you, brother. Dan. Um, appreciate it. Um, real quick, I'm going to give a plug. Your, uh, your website is before you correct? That's correct. Um, highly recommend checking it out. Um, I have been encouraged and edified, uh, by Mitch's ministry, highly, highly recommend it. Um, and then of course, uh, you guys feel free to check out undergroundseminary.net, uh, which is, uh, who sponsors the pugilist podcast. And, uh, anyway, we love having you guys on here. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.